Hello and welcome to Full Contact Nerd, where we talk about fiction and storytelling in all its forms. From the weird to the fantastic, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, thrillers, mysteries, anything you can ask for, we have it. I'm Chris Alvarez, and thank you for listening. I'm speaking with Brian Herskowitz, author of Process to Product, From Concept to Script, A Practical Guide for the Screenwriter. So this is part two of our discussion on the subject, on writing screenplays, uh, and we'll be discussing a structure. Yeah. All right. So thanks for speaking with me. My pleasure. And uh, all right. So let's let's uh, kick it off. Um, tell me about yeah. structure. Yeah. So I think one of the things that um, most professional writers understand is that structure is story. Mm-hmm. And without some sort of structure... Uh, you don't have any way of kind of following the path that you need to get to. And it's sort of like if you had uh, plotted out a trip from L.A. to New York, but you didn't have a map and you didn't have a GPS and you just knew you had to get on some road somewhere, chances are you're going to get lost as opposed to, I know I'm going to stop in Sacramento, then I'm going to go east over to you know Colorado and then from Colorado etc. So that you have a plan in mind. Um, I, I sometimes like to think of it as, you know, when you're building a house, if you're an architect, um, you don't just get a piece of land and somebody says, okay, build something. You just have to have an idea of where you're going and how you're going to get there. So uh, structure is what contains your story. And there are uh, a lot of different theories and ideas about what is proper screenplay structure. Um, going back, the original kind of go-to was the three-act structure, which was taught by Sid Field. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, you know, every story, and I still believe this is true, every story has a beginning, middle, and end. And when you think of that as your structure, you're going to have a beginning, you're going to have a middle, you're going to have an end, no matter which order those come in. Mm-hmm. So if you have a, for example, a... Uh, a Quentin Tarantino type film mm-hmm. where it jumps around in time. There's still, there's still the beginning that the audience experiences, the middle the audience experiences and the end there, the audi- audience experiences. And within each story that whether it goes backwards and forwards, there's still the beginning, the middle and the end. For instance, if you look at uh, kill bill one and two, mm-hmm. you have a character in that story that travels uh, back and forth through time. So the first time we see her, she's getting uh, beaten up at her wedding. And then the next time we see her, she's driving to get revenge. And then it goes back to the hospital and how she recovered. But we still know that if you were to look at the story in terms of what happened to this woman, you know that the story goes from she left Bill to marry this guy. She was pregnant. Uh, They came to... Uh, wreak havoc on her and her her wedding party. They killed everybody, thought they had killed her. She had gone to the hospital, and when she came out and started to recover, she had one ideal in mind, and that was to go kill Bill, which is the title of the story. Mm -hmm. And the whole two-film arc is her journey, how she gets revenge on all the people that wronged her, and how she eventually faces off with Bill. No matter how they went back and forth in time, it is still a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. So there are two different kinds of st- structure. There's the story structure, which must have a beginning, middle, and end. And and in my opinion, you can look at the microcosm of any story, and you'll find that that's true. Even a joke. 
Mm-hmm. You know, Job has the beginning, which is the setup. Uh, then it has the middle, which is where you tell uh, what's going to happen. And then the payoff, which is the end. Mm-hmm. So everything that you tell someone in a story confinement has some structure that encapsulates in some way the beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. And not to, so the way, so I'll give an example of a mistake maybe to mm-hmm. try to figure out what exactly would be the beginning. So I know, so I'm aware that oftentimes people will try to write a bunch of backstory. Like they, they right. won't get into the beginning. They'll kind of form the world and the setting and that's their beginning, but it doesn't work. I think. Right. It, you know, it varies, but you know, it, it sort of depends on how, how you, uh, how you actually illustrate that. So, mm-hmm. I'll give you a quick example. When when you start to to build any story, one of the questions you want to ask yourself is how close to the end can I start? So the the more you can press time, the more you're going to involve the audience in action. But that doesn't mean you can't have a story that is epic and goes over years or millennia or, or whatever. And a, a great example of that um, is if you look at the film Gandhi. Mm-hmm. which was a, a Academy Award-winning film. They could have started that film at a lot of different places. Where they began it is when Gandhi was a young lawyer uh, coming back from educated, uh, being educated in England, comes back to India, and then from there starts his career. And we learn about his life, and then he becomes a, a holy man and a teacher and on and on, right? Mm-hmm. That's a huge, epic uh, film that that I think spans 60 years, 70 years. Mm -hmm. But they could have started with his birth, or they could have started with his parents, or they could have started when he was a child, or they could have started when he actually, you know, made his transition into a holy man. They made a decision that this was where they wanted to begin the story, and they felt like that illustrated why he got to his choice of becoming a pacifist, uh, of believing in independence for India. Mm-hmm. So it really, it really varies. The one thing I will say you always want to do is start your story as close to the end as you can. But if you're telling a life, if you're telling a big story, you may have to go back. You may have to do something that, you know, starts early on and then goes from there. Uh, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button is another film that starts with the birth of Benjamin Button mm-hmm. and then goes through to his death. So it's rather epic in scope, mm-hmm. but the story is about someone who uh, basically lives backwards in time, who is an old man when he's young and then becomes a child as he grows older. And, you know, if you look at that, you go, okay, that, that I have to follow that beginning, middle and end from these two bookends, because that's the journey that we want to take with that character. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, and this sort of goes back to the previous episode about premise that the um, the beginning, middle, and an end have to connect. Like they have to be sort of a unified structure. Boy, they sure should be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there are there are certainly films where you watch it and you go, I don't know what's going on or where where we are in space and time. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are not those are not generally very popular films. You know, when people think about, hey, I want to hear a good story or I want to read a good book or I want to watch a good television show or a good movie, there's usually, you know, one driving force, one 
um, element that we follow that we want to kind of uh, watch, you know, unfold. And, uh, you know, if, if you were a fan of Game of Thrones, you know, Game of Thrones was an awful lot about, you know, politics and, and you know, power and sex and all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, you knew that the story began and ends with the White Walkers. And it had to make that journey in order to determine who was going to sit on the Iron Throne. Mm-hmm. And that was the story and that was the driving force that began in the very first episode, and then it kind of disappeared for a while, and then slowly it was, you know, sprinkled in throughout the entire series until it came back, uh, and we had to find out what happened. I hope I didn't give any spoilers. Did I just ruin Game of Thrones for people? I, I don't think so. I doubt it. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Um, uh, but, but it really, you know, that's one of the things that a writer has, I, I often think about, you know, a writer has a million different colors that they can paint with. And they have to determine what what are the hues and the and the tones and the colors that they want to start with. Do you know? Are they doing broad strokes in primary colors? Are they being nuanced? And it's the same with the writing. So you know, if you're doing um, a big action piece, you know, we don't really get too far into the psychology in Fast and Furious Five. You know, we're not really thinking about you know how these kids grew up and and became drivers or, or why they became the people they became. We really want to see car crashes, people get into fights, get out of tough situations. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important element of that type of film. So, you know, conversely, if you look at something like uh, Parasite, which was, you know, the best uh, Academy Award winning film, was it last year, I think? Um, which is interesting mm-hmm. yeah. to, to see. It's not the first time, but it's rare that a foreign film wins best picture. And that was really a very kind of intimate psychological thriller that took place in, you know, this home with a kind of a upstairs, downstairs quality uh, and the the gulf between the rich and the poor. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you have to decide, which you're right. It goes back to your premise. What is the story you want to tell in a nutshell? That's going to give you kind of your your clothesline on which to hang the garments that are your story. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking with Brian Herskowitz, author of Process to Product. You can find more information on his website, brianherskowitz.com. If you like this podcast, Full Contact Nerd, so far, please subscribe to it and rate it if you can. Please sign up for my weekly newsletter at fullcontactnerd.com or chrisalvarez.com to keep up with my latest posts. You'll also find written interviews and my social media links there. You can find the links to my other podcasts at militaryhistorypodcast.com and technologyinspace.com. Now back to the podcast. To look at the concept, I think it's in novels they talk about, or maybe movies as well. You know, you have your A plot and your B plot, you know, mm-hmm. your, or let's say your tangential stories that are going along with the main story. How, how does that fit in with the structure? Uh, well, there's a couple of different things. You know, in television, that structure has to hold. In film, you can just have an A story. Um, you don't necessarily have to have some subplot. There's got to be other things that happen, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's other stories that you're going to follow and then are going to tie up. When a character goes on a journey in a film, uh, oftentimes we follow that one character 
uh, on whatever journey they're on, and we stay with that character. So, uh, you know, again, when, you know, you look at the bigger action pieces and, you know, you take a John a James Bond film, um, you know, there may be a minor subplot of his romance with a woman who was uh, the femme fatale that has turned good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, of course, is the woman that's going to be taken by the bad guy at the end that he's got to save. You know, that, that's kind of the cliche Bond film. Mm-hmm. But really, it's just that one story. He There's somebody evil. He's got to go find them. He's got to overcome them. He's got to beat them at the end. He has to do it with split-second timing at the very end of the story. So in... In film, it's less crucial that you have that B storyline that helps you drive. Mm-hmm. In television, you almost always do, partly because if you think about it, and, and this is more true now than it was, you know, even five years ago, uh, television now, your your series are more like very long movies or a series of movies. It's one story that's told through time and space, but it, it expands over a lot of area. So when you have something like Game of Thrones, you do take the time to have other storylines that you follow with other characters and subplot characters and, you know, intrigue. Um, In film, you do less of that. And a lot of it has to do, again, with what is your concept? What is the story you want to tell? Uh, If you do that and you you can absolutely, if you do have an A and a B storyline, if you do have a a subplot that you want to talk about, whether it's a romantic subplot or, or it's, you know, comedic relief. The one thing that I really recommend is that your subplot have some thematic resonance for your theme and your concept so that there's something going on that is, you know, still a part of the fabric of the story. And, and an example would be Avatar. So Avatar, the main story is of uh, that the main character uh, has taken on. He's a he's a quadriplegic who has taken on this magnificent body and this seven foot tall blue creature. That's really the main story. That's the story we're most interested in. That's the story we want to we want to learn about. But there is a big subplot, um, which is about the uh, kind of uh, exploitation of the native. Uh, native people and the native resources. So in a way, it's about American imperialism. And it's about how, you know, it's really kind of a metaphor for what happened in our country with the Native Americans when we first landed here. Mm -hmm. And that subplot is intimately tied with the, the main plot, because without that, you wouldn't have the main plot. And without that, you wouldn't have the ending. Mm -hmm. You would just simply have a guy who goes to a planet, you know, has this avatar for some reason, meets this woman, they fall in love, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't be nearly as interesting because in that story, although there is an inherent conflict between the fish out of water, the avatar who comes into this community that he doesn't initially understand mm-hmm. and believes them all to be savages, and uh, this kind of, you know, uh, imperialistic, militaristic force that's coming in and looking for the resources that these people have that adds another level of conflict and it heightens everything that happens in the story. Would you say that, um, to get sort of more into details, Mm. does do the, does the beginning, middle and end have within each of those, do they have their own beginning, middle, and I'll use the word transition for end to the next Every I, I 
I kind of look at every piece of a story as a microcosm of the whole. So, you know, not only do you have, you know, like sequences within uh, a beginning, middle, and end, but within those sequences, you have scenes and they also have their structure. And then you have dialogue between within the scene and lines have structure. So everything has a structure of some sort. It's not, you don't really want to have too much, um, you know, weight on those kind of things. You want to learn it and then forget it mm -hmm. because you don't want it to become all technique. You want it to be natural. You want it to flow. You want it to come from a, a you know, a place of, uh, that's visceral and not, not just technical. Mm -hmm. just not your skill and your craft so you but you do want to understand that yeah i'm building a sequence that or i'm building a scene that's going to build se sequences i'm going to build those sequences that are going to build acts i'm going to build those acts that are going to build the story mm -hmm. and you know you'll hear people talk about a five act story you'll hear people talk about you know uh, movies of the week used to have seven act stories but the fact of the matter is no matter how you chop up your acts there's a beginning middle and end mm -hmm. there may be more there may be, you know, other steps and other, as you said, transitions. And those really revolve around major changes in the story. Mm -hmm. um, and it can be anything from the addition of a character who is either a uh, an ally or, or an opponent. Uh, it could be a physical task. It could be, uh, you know, something that they're attempting to do that uh, they hit a brick wall. You know, if you look at any of the ocean movies, the ocean, you know, eight and ocean 11, mm -hmm. you know, those films, they, you know, they're always, it's the same formula. They, they come, they're going to try and rob a casino or a bank or whatever they want to rob. Mm -hmm. And they're going to, you know, set out to do that. And of course there's impossible odds. And the fun in watching those films is they're gathering their, their resources, their training in order to beat the system. And we want to see how they're going to do it. It's just, you know, it's, it's absolutely feels impossible for them to succeed. And they do. Mm -hmm. And those are the stories that, you know, uh, I think you have a, a feel good story when you have that kind of outcome where you end up with something that, you know, you're rooting for your hero, you're rooting for your main character or main characters to succeed and they succeed. And, you know, that's the elation that comes from watching that kind of story. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there, there are a lot of things that I really suggest that young writers or new writers look at in terms of how to learn structure. And one is do look at Sid Field, mm -hmm. learn about the three act structure and then kind of put it aside. Um, and then there's, also, uh, and I'm sure you've heard about uh, Joseph Campbell's mm -hmm. Hero with a Thousand Faces and the Hero's Journey. And that's another kind of, you know, m more of a mythic main character driven story. Mm -hmm. The structure that follows one singular hero as he goes on his journey to bring back a boon. Uh, and of course, famously, Star Wars um, used that structure for it's film. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, uh, uh, Campbell came up with the thing he called the monomyth, which was basically, he looked at mythology around the world and he was a, a, a professor of religion and mythology. Mm -hmm. And he looked at, he looked at mythology around the world and the stories of heroes from Grendel on. And he kind of determined that there was really just one story that was told over and over and over again with 
they all had the same elements, but you know, maybe in slightly different order, or they came at a different time. But they all had this kind of, you know, structure where there's a character who, you know, wants to get involved, doesn't want to get involved, gets kind of called into duty, um, you know, goes on a quest to bring back a boon to society. On the way, he meets allies and enemies and opponents, finds a wise man who gives him advice, uh, faces death uh, in the belly of the beast. And then eventually is returned home triumphant after a big battle. So hmm. that, that was exactly what was used for Star Wars. And that started a new trend in, in storytelling. You know, now, and I think part of this is the advent of television really competing with feature films. You know, movies either have to take us either into ourselves or out of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the the smaller films the more personal films take us into ourselves make us look at what what uh is the human condition and the bigger films like you know the uh whether they're the the marvel movies you know that universe um they you know they tend to be the outside the 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 elation the fantasies the things that we want to see and and imagine could be real we'd love to have superpowers we'd love to be able to to do what these people can do um i i think marvel has turned out some of the best movies the last decade um maybe two decades and a lot of that comes from not only are the films all terrifically structured but they also find a a way to make them personal Mm -hmm. so that the characters have clear motivation and they are not perfect characters they're flawed Mm -hmm. so you know uh tony stark is not you know an absolutely perfect human being he has his failings and uh and those come back to haunt him at different times Mm -hmm. each one of them has that where would you say so with your students Mm -hmm. where, where would you say you found that people have the most difficulty with handling structure where do you see the most I don't want to say problems because you never know, you know, but where do people struggle with? You know, it's usually in the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people usually have a very clear idea of what they want to start with. Mm -hmm. And they usually have a a really clear idea on how they want their movie to end. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if they don't know whether it's, you know, he he lives or dies, they know that there's going to come that choice at the end. Mm -hmm. It's the middle because the middle has to drive the story. Mm And that becomes difficult if you don't know what is it that makes people want to watch and what is it that makes people push to the next moment, Mm -hmm. you know, want to see what happens next. And there's ways of of kind of coaxing that out of a writer, but it's, it is some of the most difficult part. And what happens is young writers, and this is a, a, a big failing in my opinion, in general to, for any writer, they become repetitious. So they kind of have the same beat over and over again, and it doesn't escalate. So there, there are two elements in any structure that I think help drive the, the second act, the middle of the film. Mm-hmm. And one is that the, the pressure on the main character continues to escalate and the stakes continue to rise. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you, if you start off with a character you know, facing life or death, you've got to come to a place that's higher than that at the end. And you have to have a character that's under some sort of pressure. 
pressure to perform, mm -hmm. pressure to succeed, pressure to get the money, pressure to get the girl. Um, that's why often in films they'll put a ticking clock. You know, we have to do this by this time or else. Um, one film that, that is a little more interpersonal that I break down in my book is Silver Linings Playbook. And I broke that down because it follows a very, I think, traditional structure, but it's not a particularly traditional film. It's, it's, you know, serial comic. It's, uh, mostly interpersonal. There's not a whole lot of action. So how did they, how did they drive that script? Well, one of the things they did is it is a it is a love story in the truest sense. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is in a love story, the characters that you want to fall in love initially are in opposition. Mm -hmm. And it becomes the game of how are they going to win each other's hearts? How are they going to fall in love when they are at odds at this point? And that's a that's a film that did that brilliantly they started off with jennifer lawrence's character you know not liking uh the the guy in it he you know they don't they don't get along at all and he comes to her knows that she can dance he comes to her and says i want to enter this dance competition and his focus is his reason for that is he wants to get his ex-wife back so there's another interesting thing that i play with in the in the book that i feel also assists you in building conflict and obstacles for your story and putting them into your structure. And that is that every character wants something. And, you know, as I said before, there's kind of, there's the big want, the external want. I want to, I want to get my ex-wife back. Mm -hmm. And then there's that immediate want. I want to win this dance competition. Hmm. So that happens. The immediate want, the, the immediate want tends to change, but the overall want doesn't until we get to a character's moment of revelation where they go, Oh crap, I'm in love with this girl. And there's an interesting dichotomy that goes along with that. And that is if I am in love with her, I lose what I want. So one of the things that really helps is if you give a character who is driving the story, a hugely strong desire. I want this with all my heart. And then you give them an equally strong need that is in opposition to that. That if I get the need, the thing that I really truly need, then I lose what I want. So he had this very superficial relationship with his ex-wife and that's what he wanted. He needed this deep relationship with Jennifer Lawrence's character. And at the end of the film, he has to make a choice. And you'll see that over and over and over again in love stories. Um, in Shrek, which is a love story, you see it there. <laughs> and um, you pick a love story. And, I, you know, it's got that it's got that structure in it. It's got that problem. Hmm. And, and we as the audience want to see how are these two going to get together? Hmm. Princess Bride, that's the one that... Princess Bride is another one, for sure. You know, when, when, you, when they first meet... He's a stable boy and she treats him horribly. And, you know, and then, of course, the problems become once he's become the Dread Pirate Roberts. Initially, when he kidnaps her, um, he's acting as if they will never get together, that he's there to punish her because he had she had abandoned Wesley. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it turns out that he is Wesley. So, you know, that's all 
part and parcel of that love story. But that's also an adventure story, and it does have subplots, and it has other characters that have also very strong desires. So Inigo Montoya desperately wants to find the man who killed his father, the six-fingered man, and that's what drives his story. And then the intersection of that is he needs the man in black, Wesley, mm-hmm. in order to defeat uh, the 50 guards that are in front of the castle and be able to get to uh, Count, I think, Rogan, Rugen and and, uh, and defeat him mm-hmm. and get revenge for his father's death. So I don't want to get into outline at all you know, or, or get into that territory because that's for another talk. Mm-hmm. So when yeah. I ask these questions, I'm trying to avoid outline and stick to structure. Sure. So the idea I get or I've heard is that the beginning is where you introduce all your characters and sort of right. the situation and the conflict. The middle is where you go through all the different beats and you progress through your adventure. And then the ending is where, you know, there's no more of the raising the, well, you can still raise stakes and make it mm-hmm. difficult, but it's basically you're at the end where it's the final battle or the final, yeah. you know, that's accurate. And, and, you know, there are stories that are, uh, ensemble pieces where you have multiple, you know, characters and multiple storylines. And you can look at films like Traffic and, and, uh, Babel. Mm-hmm. And, but they each have their own structure. So I think it was Babel that followed the path of a, of a gun mm-hmm. as it went from one hand to another and eventually ends up in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And we get to know each person who, watches and holds this gun at a different point in time. And it really is uh, a very interesting and complex political piece. But, you know, whether the writer knows it or not, they have a, they have a structure for each of those characters. And there is one character that has a drive and a desire in each of those storylines. And if you don't have a drive for your characters in a B or C or D storyline, when you're putting together an ensemble film or, then then you're probably doing your audience a disservice and they may lose interest mm-hmm. because if they don't have something they're going after, you know, we have a, we have a, a hard time getting involved with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's where you'll sometimes hear someone say, Oh, that part of the movie was boring because it really, mm-hmm. it, it was cute or whatever, but it really didn't mesh with the rest of what was going on. Like, yeah. And you, you often hear people say, Oh, you know, nothing happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I was waiting for something to happen. Nothing happened. Right. Yeah. Um, and and sometimes that's, again, because it's really just the same thing happening over and over. So the two things that you want to look at is, you know, how do I how do I increase the stakes? How do I increase the pressure on the character? And then what is their motivation? What is their drive and how important it is? And that goes back to the stakes. Mm-hmm. You know, you want something that is crucially important to them. Um, and if it's not, you know, why do we care that they get it? Mm-hmm. I'm speaking with Brian Herskowitz, author of Process to Product. You can find more information on his website, brianherskowitz.com. If you like this podcast, Full Contact Nerd, so far, please subscribe to it and rate it if you can. Please sign up for my weekly newsletter at fullcontactnerd.com or chrisalvarez.com to keep up with my latest posts. You'll also find written interviews and my social media links there. You can find the links to my other podcasts at militaryhistorypodcast.com and technologyinspace.com. 
Now back to the podcast. So someone might ask, okay, so would this equally apply to, say, a comedy? Does comedy really have a three-act structure or or any kind of genre? You know, Uh someone might question, like, does this really apply to every type of movie? Um, the, the answer is there's probably some films out there that, that don't follow that structure, but the majority of them do. And here's my advice. If you're a writer starting out, learn the form, learn, learn the function, learn the craft. And then if you, if you find some new way of creating a a structure that doesn't do that, doesn't follow a beginning, middle and end, go for it. And like I said, Tarantino you know, he, he shook up the status quo by going, I'm going to start in the middle. I'm going to go back to the beginning. And he did that not just in, in, uh, Kill Bill, but he did in Pulp Fiction. He, you know, he, he, he likes to play with time mm-hmm. and he likes to play with space. And that's, that's a very interesting device, but it's still a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end for each. And if you look at, at like, uh, Pulp Fiction, where there are several different storylines that we follow. You know, we have, we follow the, the two assassins, uh, you know, as they, you know, try to navigate their lives from the time that they pick up this guy who's a, a drug dealer and he accidentally gets his head blown off to, you know, they're cleaning it up and then, then they're supposed to kill Bruce Willis and they blow that. And then they're having breakfast at this diner where, um, you know, we've got, two characters that are going to try and rob them come up and these, you know, all of these pieces, they're of a story. They're one, they're one piece. And one of the things that I think Tarantino does really brilliantly is the way that he weaves the story and makes them feel all part of the same fabric. And you never feel like in a Tarantino film or rarely feel like, um, anything is unimportant that that story didn't really matter. Or why am I watching that? Or, you know, what does that have to do with the price of tea? You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't, you don't get that feeling. And sometimes you do in a film where it tries to break the structure. And there was, I gave you a totally different example of a film that did try to break away from structure. It was called I'm Not Here. Do you know that film? No, I don't. Okay. So uh, that there's a reason for that. <laughs> there's a reason you don't know that film. And, and it was a big movie. It was basically a fictionalized biography of Dylan, Bob Dylan. Hmm. And what they did is they had, I think it's five different stories, six different stories, something like that. There are five or six different stories that all have Bob Dylan as a main character. And in each one of the stories, they have a different actor playing Bob Dylan, including a woman at one point. Hmm. And, you know, you get the idea that the the concept, and this is going back to the idea of theme and concept. The concept was he he's a complex person and we're going to show very different aspects of his character. And they had fantastic actors. Kate Blanchett is the one I think who played uh who played him as a woman. Hmm. Uh I you know, it cross-dressed, played played a man but and played Dylan. And there were some really, really outstanding actors in it. Um, but ultimately you kind of left the theater going, I don't, I don't know what I saw. Hmm. I don't, I don't really understand, you know, what the story was about. I don't leave feeling like I really know anything more about Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really get any insight to who he is. 
and maybe that's the point. You know, he's enigmatic, and maybe the point is because he's such an enigma, we're going to make a film that's also enigmatic. <laughs> but the problem is, you know, it's not a popular film. Mm -hmm. People are not, you know, going out in, in droves to watch that movie. And here's when I talk to my students about this, I say, you have the right and you have, uh, you know, permission from anybody, me included, to go and do whatever story in whatever way you want. But you got to think of it, and I use kind of a baseball analogy, that, you know, if you're hitting to the corners, you know, and you're doing something unique, you may have a little bit better chance of hitting a home run, but you also have a better chance of, of being out, mm -hmm. of hitting a foul ball. And if you're hitting something straight down the middle, you know, and it goes through, you've got a pretty good chance of getting on base. So that's structure to me. When we have structure and we have that, that's straight down the middle, you know, and the more you adhere to that, the more narrow that lane is, the broader the audience. Mm -hmm. When you start getting into the really different structures and, and you know, odd structures and films that, you know, are following different characters around and then, you know, coming through who knows what um, to get us to something, mm -hmm. um, you ultimately, you know, you lose a lot of people. There are those people that love those kind of films that will seek that kind of film out. Mm -hmm. And if you understand that as a filmmaker and you go, you know, that's the kind of story I want to do. If you're, if you're somebody who likes to write, like, uh, there's a film called The Lobster. Are you familiar with that film? That sounds familiar. Okay, so The Lobster is uh, Colin Farrell, stars in The Lobster. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's not a futuristic society. It is a, I guess you'd call it magic realism, where it's a parallel universe. Mm -hmm. And in this universe, you must have a mate. You have to have somebody that is your mate. And if you don't, um, the forces that control things, they don't really describe or explain who this is, uh, turn you into an animal. Hmm. But you get to choose your animal. Hmm. And Colin Farrell's brother becomes a dog. And at the beginning of the film, he tells uh, the people that take him in to try and find a mate that he wants to become a lobster. Mm-hmm. And they talk about, why do you want to be a lobster? And, you know, he talks about, well, you got your shell. And, you know, I made no, I didn't stick with me that part. Mm -hmm. um, but he goes through and he tries to find a mate. And the criteria for a mate in this world, this universe, is you have to have something in common. And they, they make it pretty broad. But he ends up being kind of a a misfit in this universe, not wanting to stay, not wanting to be with the people that he thinks uh, he's going to woo. And he only has a certain period of time before they're going to capture him. They, they make him turn into an animal. Uh -huh. So he escapes and there's a resistance and he meets this resistance and he falls in love in the resistance. Love is outlawed. <laughs> so they're rebellious against the establishment, which says there's love. So anyway, the bottom line it's an unknowable film for me. It was one of those films where I just went, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I know people that watched it and went, I love that movie. Oh, it was so, you know, so quirky and fun. And I, I, I walked out going, you know, that's two hours of my life. I just can't get back. <laughs> you know, yeah. it wasn't my kind of thing, but there were people that do. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And you, as an artist, have every right to do that kind of story where it can be, you know, interpersonal or, or you know, odd or, you know, it, it doesn't matter. And if you are bound and determined to do that, great. But you got to know that you're, you're aiming towards corners. Mm-hmm. You got a good shot of going foul. And if you go foul, you know, no bueno. Uh, you know, the, the opposite of that, somebody that, you know, also, it, I think, tends to play with structure to a better, uh, a, a greater or lesser degree is Charlie Kaufman, hmm. who wrote Being John Malkovich. He wrote, um, uh, what else did he do? Uh, he did um, the story of Chuck uh, Barris. Um, he did uh, the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. So he, he's got a very quirky sense of story. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. And he actually talked about structure and classes and, you know, he's, he was kind of anti film class. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons was he had this idea for being John Malkovich and a teacher told him, uh, you know, that's insane. Don't do it. And he went, well, I don't want to hear that. I want to make this movie. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a script that was very, very odd and quirky and fun, but worked. Mm-hmm. And it worked again because it had, it had a structure. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that, I, you know, great storytellers, um, some of them just have that in them. Stephen King um, is somebody who just has the ability to tell a great story mm-hmm. and didn't necessarily, you know, uh, have to study that. It was just in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, William Goldman, who wrote Princess Bride, is another writer uh, that we recently lost who, you know, just had that innate ability to just tell a good story. Mm-hmm. And that's a rare thing. And if you don't have that innate ability, you have to learn the craft and then you can let it go. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being John, if, if someone, and, and I, and this actually changed my teaching because if someone had come to me and said, uh, told me the plot of being John Malkovich and said they were going to write that script, you know, when I first started teaching, I would have said, Oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that film. That's nobody's going to want to see that film. Yeah. You know, what, what are you talking about? Somebody crawls through a tunnel into John Malkovich's head and use him as a puppet. What, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I, but after the film and, and seeing it and really enjoying that movie, I went, you know, I, I don't know everything. I don't know. I don't know what people are going to react to and like. Mm-hmm. I, I think I know what most people like, but I could be wrong. And and so I never tried to force a writer to get off of their story. What I try to help writers do is find the best story that they can, their story, whatever that is. Make it the best it can, meaning, you know, how do you how do you turn up the amp? How do you make it go to 12? You know, how do you how do you keep the characters engaged and the audience interested? So touching on structure again, or uh, the parts of the structure, where do you where do you see people um, having those problems as far as transitioning from the middle to the end? Where, Where do I have them see them having problems? Yeah. Where do they have? where people might not might have a muddled structure development. Uh, Um, You know, it really kind of, you know, the one thing about, about screenwriting is it's all, it's all part of a very tight weave. mm -hmm. So it really goes back to what does the character want and what are they going after? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you talked about comedy and one of my favorite comedies was a a movie called, uh, there's something about Mary. Mm -hmm. And do do you know the film? I do. Yes. Very well. (laughs) Yeah. very, Very funny film. And, you know, that story could not be clearer. It's a guy who, 
had a high school sweetheart that he kind of never got to take to the prom because of a horrendous accident. Mm -hmm. She had just broken up with her boyfriend, Woogie. And now, you know, 25 years later, 20 years later, he's still obsessing over this girl he knew in high school. And he decides to see if he can find her. So he hires a private detective. Mm -hmm. And the thing about Mary is everybody who meets her falls in love with her. So the detective goes down, falls in love with her, and decides not to tell <laughs> Ben Stiller's character that that she's you know okay and and fabulous and a, a you know sports doctor and all of this other you know stuff. So mm-hmm. he lies to him and says she's you know obese and has you know twelve kids and is not married and living on welfare. And, and in spite of that, because of his obsession and because he he truly loves her, he decides he's still going to go for it and he goes on this journey mm-hmm. and it's you know it's absolutely the structure we've talked about where he you know he's got a clear goal mm-hmm. and then it, at some point when we get to the battle where everything is converging and, and in this case it's the four men that are in love with mary mm-hmm. uh five if you count the one <laughs> very um when they all converge it's him who who has this revelation that if he really truly loves her, he wants to do what's going to make her happy, mm-hmm. even if it makes him miserable. And he makes that choice. And because it's a, a comedy and because it's a feel good movie, when he makes that choice to give her up to the man that really she should be with, mm-hmm. she realizes that he's the guy for her. Mm-hmm. So it's a win win on that in that case. But he has he has made the choice to give up what he wants in order to get what he needs, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I have to, I have to do what is best for true love. Mm-hmm. And the interesting yeah. thing there is that, you know, with various sort of character plot lines, they all reinforce each other. It's almost like yes. a spectrum of creepiness, you know, amongst yeah. all these yeah, guys. Exactly. And, and it, that's going back to what I was talking about, you know, thematic resonance mm-hmm. where you want to have a, a a story, if your story is about love, you may have a, a subplot that's about hate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a film where, you know, it's a love story, but there's an ex-boyfriend who's a stalker who, you know, is going to make their lives living hell. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the love story and then there's the hate story. Mm-hmm. So you have these B storylines, A storylines, they either support or they refute your basic premise, your argument for your story. Here's what I want people to understand. You know, true love conquers all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, that's a cliche. So you want to find something a little more interesting. Than that. But, but for illustration purposes, you know, you want to have that as your kind of theme that presses and pushes against something. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a movie years ago called uh, Dead Man Walking. Mm-hmm. And it became really iconic, uh, mainly for that phrase. But it, it was a film that did a really well-balanced um, investigation of the death penalty and whether or not, you know, putting people to death for killing people made sense. Mm-hmm. And it follows the story of a nun who is, uh, you know, serving on death row and a, an inmate who swears he's innocent up and down. And everybody, you know, she talks to all the people around him, the people that lost loved ones because, you know, uh, he, they, they said that he killed them and on and on. And eventually she has to 
say goodbye to this guy. He's going to go to the death, uh, to the gas chamber. Mm. So, but it really looked at it from, you know, from both sides and it looked at it so that the audience walked out of that film going, well, I, I have to rethink what I feel about the death penalty, regardless of which side you were on. If you walked in going, I believe in the death penalty. I believe there are people that no longer to be, you know, need to be on this earth or, I think that killing is wrong, and if killing is wrong, it's wrong to kill this person. Mm-hmm. You could see both sides. So the the premise, which is, again, not just the logline, but the, the theme that under, kind of is the undercurrent of your story, is something that is going to be the argument that pushes throughout the whole movie. It's the one thing that the characters can't get away from. So... um what about this particular idea? And I forget where I've read it, um, that the ending of the movie should not, in a sense, should not surprise you. Like it could surprise you, but what you're presented at the beginning, when you get to the end, you should think to yourself, yeah, that makes total sense that it developed and, and completed in this way. Yeah. You know, I, I don't agree with that a hundred percent. I, my philosophy is, um, you want to motivate the arbitrary. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'll give you a, you know, an example, um, a bad example and a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, in one movie called perfect strangers that Hall, Halle Berry and, uh, Bruce Willis were in mm-hmm. the movie goes, you know, through all kinds of machinations and ends up that, you know, they, you think that, that Bruce Willis is this killer. Then you think it's her, her, you know, best friend that is obsessed with her and his killer. And, and, you know, and then at the very end, suddenly it's her, she's the one who's the killer. And you walk out of that movie going, what the hell was that? And I talked to, I talked to the filmmakers. They came and spoke to my class mm-hmm. and I talked to Halle Berry. And one of the things that they talked about is she came on as a, as an actress and had a hand in the script and I'm not, I'm not denigrating her writing ability or anything else, but she said, you know, we went through 27 drafts Mm -hmm. to find this ending. And she liked that ending because it was dramatic turn for that actor, Mm -hmm. but it was so unmotivated and came so far out of left field that the audience went, ah, come on. Are you kidding me? Really? So, you know, at least in my opinion, Mm-hmm. And and it was not a popular film. It had a great cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Giovanni Ribisi was one of the people in it. Bruce Willis, uh, Halle Berry, you know. And this was when she was at, at the top of her form. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and Bruce Willis hadn't yet decided to do every film that yeah. came along. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know these were these were top actors, but it just didn't work. On the other hand, there's a movie called Unfaithful uh, with Diane Lane, mm-hmm. and uh, Richard Gere plays her husband in it and she's having an, an affair and he is just the best, most reasonable, loving husband you can imagine. He's just kind of like a really good guy, but he's a little bit, a little bit cool mm-hmm. and she wants passion in her life. So she starts having an affair with this young guy and eventually he finds out and he goes to have a conversation and, and talk to this guy. And as he's talking to him, he sees the snow globe that his wife had bought for as a present for this guy. Mm-hmm. And he picks it up and he smashes his, this guy's head in, mm-hmm. kills him. And 
it's a shocking moment. Mm -hmm. It's it is an unexpected moment, but it's absolutely believable. You mm -hmm. walk out going, yeah, I can see being in that position mm -hmm. where I'm so hurt and angry by the actions of my wife that I snap and do something uh, irrational. Mm -hmm. So I I talk about that uh, motivating, like I said, motivating the arbitrary. Mm -hmm. You can do something arbitrary. You can have, you know, elephants show up, you know, in your bathtub, if you can figure out a way that that makes sense and that it's real and that you go, okay, in this universe, elephants show up in the bathroom and there's a reason for it and this is why and how. And you, if you understand that and the audience buys it, you can do that. And you can do that with the end of a movie as well. And uh, I'm trying to think of, I've seen a couple of things recently where the end you go, oh, wow, okay, I didn't see that coming. And that's not, that's not a bad way to end a film if if you adhere to this concept of the audience wants to have that moment of re, re, kind of this revelation where they go, oh, it's that guy. They they kind of go back in their mind. They they go back in their memory and they they start to track the breadcrumbs that were left behind. I, I think enough people have seen The Sixth Sense hmm. that I can – I can ruin that film for people. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, yeah. I'll just say okay. spoiler so, for Sixth Sense. <laughs> yeah, so The Sixth Sense is another great example. Mm -hmm. uh, terrific storyline, terrific characters. You know, it's a doctor who's uh, had this traumatic experience with, a, with one of his patients. And he then, you know, is trying to save this young boy who claims to be able to see dead people. And it's really about his, you know, his desire not only to do that, but also to let go of his past. Mm -hmm. And those are intimately tied together. And of course, we go through this entire film where he's, you know, trying to determine whether or not he believes this kid. Mm -hmm. And the kid eventually convinces him. Mm -hmm. And then the kid says something to him and he actually runs back through all the moments in the movie mm -hmm. where he's with his wife and doing different things and realizes that he wasn't there because he's dead. Mm -hmm. He's also a ghost. And that moment when you, when you saw the film, you know, was absolutely unexpected and shocking. Mm -hmm. But as you go back through and you go, Oh, when she put her wedding ring on the table, she was just saying, I've got to move on. He wasn't there and she was just kind of talking to herself. Mm -hmm. And when he was saying to her, you know, why don't you, you don't want to talk to me? Okay, fine. I'm, I'm going to go. It was because he's not there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a poltergeist thing when he broke a window and, you know, all these different moments mm -hmm. that you start to realize, Oh snap. He wasn't really there. Yeah. It's his spirit that was there. And then he gets to take that moment and, you know, be at rest. Mm -hmm. So, that was a shocking thing. And, and of course, um, that night, M. Night has a, a history of doing those kind of turns in films. And sometimes he does it more successfully than other. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think uh, one he did, I think, was called The Event, maybe? I don't recall was, that. Yeah, I, I think it was called The Event. Not not so successful. Not mm -hmm. not so good. And it's, it's got, a, again, good cast. Mm -hmm. But the story is there is a virus that's making people... Um, suicidal maniacs. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a zombie movie. Okay. But it turns out that it's 
spores that are carried on the wind. And at some point, you know, scenes are, are there are many scenes where the wind is coming and, and they have to try and sprint away from the wind. And it's just, it's gets to a place where it's kind of comedic that, you know, they're, yeah. they're trying to outrun the wind yeah. and, uh, you know, it's like, okay. And then eventually I think people get used to, you know, used to the spores and that's it. Yeah. Or they find some way to kill it. But it just, yeah. it was a little bit of nonsense, hmm. but he likes that, you know, that turn. So I don't know that I agree with the idea of you, you don't want it to be a shock. You don't want it to be, um, but I do think you want it to be believable. Right. So whatever choice you make, whatever turn you you do, you don't you don't want the audience to leave going that would never happen. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that. Do you think you have to establish that in the beginning, like connect with that ending some way in the beginning, or can you introduce and develop it in the set in in the middle? Well, generally speaking, you know, depending on on how you structure it mm-hmm. and how you move through space and time. It really depends. Um, but whatever it is, you know, it can be, it can be the moment before the final moment. You know, if, if you motivate it in a way that you go, oh, okay. I mean, for instance, going back to Unfaithful, there's no hint of violence in this man. Mm-hmm. There's no hint that he would have, be capable of, of killing somebody. There's none. And yet, when we get to that point, you know, I, I think anyone who's been in a relationship will go, Okay, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, he snapped. He, you know, he he just snapped mm-hmm. and made a, a a snap, you know, moment decision that was costly for him and this guy. Mm-hmm. And then didn't know what else to do. So those, you know, those moments. As long as as long, and I guess you could say, well, it's built up because we see in the beginning his deep love for his wife, mm-hmm. his family, and his concern over what's going on. So I think, you know, as you start to track that, you, that builds this idea that he's under pressure and he's becoming, uh, you know, more and more suspicious. Mm-hmm. And as he becomes more suspicious, the pressure is rising on him. It's not really his story. Mm-hmm. It's not his story at all, really. It's her story. But it becomes his story and it becomes his kind of finale when he kills this guy. That's really the truth. You you don't have to set up in the beginning, but you have to have, and by setup, it just has to be believable. And again, you know, they don't really, you know, if they had had him be murderous in the first scene or you saw anger in the first scene, you certainly wouldn't have the shock at the end, but it also wouldn't have the effect. You wouldn't feel like, uh, you know, that, that that moment stood out in your mind as something that was kind of exceptional. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was an exceptional ending. So, you know, those things are always something you want to kind of look at. I'll give you another, I think, great example was um, the recent uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Hmm. uh, which was, you know, another Tarantino film where, and this is another thing Tarantino does, and he's done it now a few times where he he revises history. Hmm. And, you know, he did it with um, Inglorious Bastards, where... You know, I the way that that film ends is we we kill every head of the Nazi party in one fell swoop in a theater and and uh, the war ends. Yeah. And I don't remember it happening like that. <laughs> right. I, I don't think that's how it went down. Yeah. So, you know, he he 
he made that choice to kind of like flip that switch because, you know, it was interesting. It was, it was provocative, but here's what it was. And this goes back to what we were saying earlier. We would all love to see that. Wouldn't we, wouldn't we love to have, you know, the ability to just wipe out the Nazis in one fell swoop. Wouldn't that be just grand? And he did the same thing in, uh, in once upon a time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I don't want to do it. And this is a spoiler and it's a recent enough film. I don't want to, you know, spoil the ending, but yeah. he revises history. Mm-hmm. And for those of us who lived through that time, um, in the seventies, when the Tate Lobianco murders happened and mm-hmm. Charlie Manson's family was still alive. Um, you know, that was a traumatic event in, in our country. It was a traumatic event in our history, and it was one of the greatest evils in, you know, in in our storied past of great evils. So, mm-hmm. um, and his playing with that had that same effect where you go, God, I wish I wish that's how it had gone down. I wish we could have done it that way, mm-hmm. you know. So that's um, that's how I think, you know, you look at those kind of endings and go, as long as the audience leaves going, I I can fully believe that that character would do it mm-hmm. and leaves going and or leaves going, wow, I wish it, had, I wish it had happened like that. Wouldn't that have been great? Mm-hmm. You know, I wish, you know, I, I wish that Tony Stark could, you know, could just snap his fingers and the world would go back to what it was. You know, mm-hmm. those are the things that we fantasize about and, and we want that ending. If Thanos had won at the end of, you know, the, the final Marvel movie, mm-hmm. We would not have been satisfied. No. <laughs> we would we would have been pissed off, right? Yeah. And we want it to be we want our heroes to struggle mightily. We want them to, to be, you know, up against what appear to be insurmountable odds and then to overcome those insurmountable odds. Yeah. And it but it has to be done with, you know, some tact and some guile and some uh skill. Mm-hmm. So just for the sake of time, we'll, uh, we'll need to wrap this up, but are there any other, uh, last points you want to make about structure? Yeah, I, you know, I want to, I, I think structure is something that is crucially important for writing screenplays, but it's also something that again, once you have that understanding of what structure is, you can follow structure and you understand how stories move through space and time. You, you have every right to and should, if you want to play with the form. And, you know, you can take stories, Memento went, you know, went instead of beginning, middle and end, went end, middle, beginning, still had a min- end, middle, beginning, but it, it flipped it. Tarantino plays with story uh, that way. You know, there are other people that have tried it and, have, you know, some more successful than others. Mm-hmm. And it's not just time and space. You know, if you find something unique about the way you want to tell a story, as long as you walk away going, this is the story I wanted to tell the way I wanted to tell it, and people can get what you're going for, mm-hmm. then I think you're in, you're in solid territory. And, you know, I go back to what Stephen King once said about, you know, a writer writes something in the present and projects it into the future, and somewhere in the future, somebody receives that information and builds exactly the story and exactly the image that you projected from the past. Mm. So it's the same thing here. If you've got this feeling, this idea, this concept, and you want people to feel it like you do, and you succeed at that, and you found some different way of, of approaching it, mm-hmm. 
-hmm. you know, more power to you. Those are the people that aim for the corners and hit the home run, you know, right down the, you know, the third base line. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, you know, people that can, you know, pull their, their swings. They're the ones that are getting 50 and 60 home runs a year. Those that's great. If you're one of those people, if you're Tarantino, if you're, uh, you know, to a lesser degree, Spike Lee, um, you know, if you're one of those guys, uh, Tim Burton, another guy, you know, yeah, go for it. Mm-hmm. But no structure. Learn it. Don't don't pretend like it's not important. Learn it. Mm-hmm. Learn it. Learn it. Learn it. And then once you've learned it, let it go and do what you want to do. But at least then you'll have the foundation. So you'll know that if I if you start to wander, you can go, OK, I know how to get back to this spot. And and that's actually uh, and, you know, if we'll we'll do this uh, next time when we talk about outline. But mm-hmm. the. Once you understand what your structure is going to be, which is basically your beginning, middle, and end, then you start to expand it eventually into your outline. And, and I have a, a a method that I use and that I suggest people use. And it's not a, you know, not something that they have to do. There's no formula. You don't have to. You don't have to follow it. It's just a suggestion of how you can start to put down markers yeah. that allow you to go from A to B to B to C all the way to Z. And not lose your way because oftentimes, you know, writers will start to write something and halfway through they go, I have no idea who these characters are, where they're going, what they what they're supposed to do or how I'm going to end this thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, early in my career, I wrote a script that I got 70 pages into and went, I give up, can't do it, don't know what don't know what I was thinking. And, you know, I thought it was going to be the next, you know, just brilliant movie. I, I, I pitched it as a cross between pumping iron and uh, Saturday Night Fever, mm-hmm. and uh, um, and it, that's what it was. And about, like I said, about seventy pages in, I went, "What are these? What?" Because I I, I let it just wander. Mm-hmm. You know, an idea would come to me, I'd go there, and I painted myself into a corner. And that's that was actually my motivation to start studying screenwriting. Mm-hmm. I'd already written a screenplay, but the first screenplay I wrote, uh, it was option. Mm-hmm. The story was something that came from my life, and it, it had that very strong beginning, middle, and end because I knew that story. Mm-hmm. And then I took something where I was just going to kind of wing it. You know, the first first script I wrote in five days initially, uh, rewrote over several years, but, you know, wrote in five days. The second one, 70 pages in, two months later, I, I went, I, done, mm-hmm. start over. So then I went and started taking classes, reading books. Studying Sid Field and, and uh, Joseph Campbell and uh, Robert McKee and going to those classes and trying to learn uh, Linda Seeger, you know, and just different people that were kind of the the go to uh, uh, mentors of the day mm-hmm. and try to learn, you know, what is this? What is it that makes a good film and what is it that makes a good story? And then how do you take that and apply it to what you want to do and what you want to say? And, you know, the one thing I don't believe in, although there is there is a strong argument to have it that, you know, a lot of people, uh, Blake Snyder wrote a book called Save the Cat. And there are some really nice elements in it, but I'm not a big fan of the book. And one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of the book is because it starts to break down structure like we do something on page three, page seven, page nine, page 15, you know, and it, it so micromanages it. Mm-hmm. That my feeling is if you follow that rule, follow that book, you end up with a cookie cutter and a film that's just the same film as, you know, everybody else. Mm-hmm. So 
I, I think you want to look at structure as something that's fluid. Don't worry about if my, you know, act break, my character starting his hero's journey doesn't happen between page 25 and page 30. Mm. If it happens on page 20, you know, don't have a conniption. You'll be fine. If it happens on page 40, you know, that's a little late, but it's all right. You know, mm. life will go on. <laughs> it won't stop. So it's more important. Are you telling the story you want to tell? Are you telling it the way you want to tell it? And are you going to keep your audience that you are targeting engaged? And again, that goes back to this idea that not every film is for everybody. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, I'm looking right, forward. That's my last word on it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to um, outlining. So, yeah. so thanks. Right. Thanks very much again for speaking with me. Thank you, Chris. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, Full Contact Nerd, please subscribe and rate it if you can. If you want more fiction and fiction studies ranging from ancient mythology to modern-day sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, please sign up for my weekly newsletter at fullcontactnerd.com or chrisalvarez.com to keep up with my latest posts. On my webpage, you'll also find written interviews and links to my social media accounts on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I also discuss art, acting, comic books, gaming, and much more. Thanks again, and keep imagining the past, the present, and the future.